Mockingbirds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 594, Columbus Day weekend. Well, if you like both birds and graphic novels, those sort of narratives in comic book form, this may be just the ticket. Legendary Canadian author, poet, and activist Margaret Atwood has tapped into her childhood love of art and comics to create her first graphic novel. It's called Angel Catbird, Volume 1, and it's the story of a superhero who's part man... Hey, how you doing? Part owl... (coughs) And part cat... (coughs) ...who tries to reconcile his three conflicting identities... The book also contains tidbits about the dangers posed to birds by cats. The publishers say the project is partly an attempt to assuage Atwood's guilt over her own cat's bird-thirsty behavior. The book is being published in tandem with Nature Canada's Keep Cats Safe and Save Bird Lives initiative. Angel Catbird, Volume 1, two subsequent volumes will be published, one in February and one next fall. If you hear someone say, hey, there's a butter butt, try to determine if it's a birder that's saying it. If it is, then you know it's not an insult of some sort being heard, but rather that of a yellow-rumped warbler being spotted. The name yellow-rumped warbler didn't come into existence until 1973 when the Myrtle Warbler here in the east and up north and the Audubon's Warbler out west were declared to be a single species based on evidence that the two birds routinely hybridize in a small part of western Canada. But now, some new evidence, based on the bird's DNA, may be reversing that earlier decision. Genetic data now suggests that not only the Myrtle Warbler and the Audubon's Warbler are separate species, but that the Goldman's Warbler, found almost exclusively in Guatemala, is probably also a separate species. And... A fourth form, known as the black-fronted warbler in the mountains of northern Mexico, may also be a species unto itself, although researchers aren't so sure about that one, at least not yet. Now, if you're thinking that this new split will let you add another species to your life list, well, not so fast. Splitting the species formally requires a decision by a committee of the American Ornithologists Union that could come next July. So there may be soon soon be as many as four different yellow-rumped warbler species. But if you like, you can still call them butterbutt. By the way, speaking of myrtle, it's interesting to know that yellow-rumped warblers eat things like wax, myrtle, and bayberry during migration and in the winter because unlike other warblers, they can digest those waxy berries. Kind of an interesting adaptation. It's one of the reasons that yellow-rumped warblers winter so much farther north than do other warbler species. Hey, guess who's coming back to TV? 
Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yes, Bill Nye will be a Netflix guy. In a new series called Bill Nye Saves the World. Tackling topics from a scientific point of view in an effort to dispel myths and refute anti-scientific claims. Topics will include vaccinations, genetically modified foods, and climate change. Don't get comfortable on the couch just yet, though. The series won't launch until next spring. Now let's get some news for young birders in Ohio, along with how to win a birding trip to Trinidad and Tobago. Among other things from our Canadian correspondent in the province of Alberta, Charlotte Wasilik and her Charlotte's weblog. Alberta bound, Alberta bound. It's good to be Alberta bound. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Ray. The 10th annual Ohio Young Birders Conference is coming up next month on November 5th at the Toledo Zoo. The conference will include behind-the-scenes tours of the zoo and aquarium, presentations by young birders, and a field trip and bird banding demonstration. Register online at www.ohioyoungbirders.org. Until the end of the month, eBird Checklist contributors have the chance to win a free trip to go birding in Trinidad and Tobago. You can find all the details on the eBird website at ebird.org. Earlier this week, while checking our cattle in the pasture, I came across two adult bald eagles and some common ravens feeding on a greater white-fronted goose carcass. We've had a killing frost and some snow flurries, but there are still northern flickers around, and I've been seeing many northern harriers as well. A happy Thanksgiving weekend to all of my fellow Canadians. That's all for this week, Ray, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Charlotte. Talking Birds listeners, be sure to check out Charlotte's blog. You'll like it at prairiebirder.com. That's prairiebirder.com. Well, we don't have a bonus prize state this week because we don't have a bonus prize, but next week we will, kind of in celebration of our broadcast next week from Yosemite National Park. We'll be uh, attempting to give away a pair of Nature DX binoculars by Celestron. Waterproof, fully rubber-armored with phase-coated back four prisms for increased contrast and resolution and fully coated optics, multi-coated optics for brighter images. It even has close focus of six and a half feet for viewing nearby subjects. That'll be our bonus date prize next week. And of course, we'll announce our bonus date at the beginning of our show uh, right here next week. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Here's one. Ever wonder why birds don't crash into each other when flying, even in big flocks? Well, scientists may have figured it out, and we have the link to the apparent and relatively simple partial answer. How to hear and see birds at night. We'll link you to the story from the Portland, Maine Press Herald. And some good news for a remarkable avian species. A new international agreement aims to ban all trade in uh, African gray parrots. We'll connect you to that story as well. Some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can also find those stories through an online search for the most part if you're not a Facebook follower. Our conservation salute of the week goes to the city of Miami Beach, Florida, which in addition to dodging the worst from Hurricane Andrew this week has instituted a ban on that plastic foam stuff that people call 
incorrectly but commonly styrofoam. The ban prohibits restaurants and stores from using or selling cups, plates, and containers made from that polluting puffy plastic in an effort to clean up the shores and waters of Miami Beach. As cleanup crews point out, that plastic foam material breaks apart after it enters the water and then floats around in the bay and ocean for decades. Officials say merchants will be given time to comply with the ban, but that after that, violations will cost $50 the first time and $500 for third and subsequent offenses. Congratulations, City of Miami Beach, for striking another blow against the perils of plastic pollution. Still to come on our show today, while we'll have to wait a while for Bill Nye, the science guy, to come back on TV, we're happy to say that we won't have to wait long for Nick Lund, the birdist, to come back on radio. He'll be with us on this morning's show. Plus, our man Mike O'Connor from the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod will be with us, too, to talk about the winter finch forecast. Will we see red poles and grosbeaks and pine siskins and red-breasted nuthatches in the upper parts of the lower 48 this winter? Mike will have some thoughts on that. And in just a moment, we'll present a ferociously fierce falcon as our featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. When Attila the Hun was plundering the Balkans, attacking Constantinople, and invading the northern provinces of Italy in the 5th century, he wore on his helmet the image of a fierce raptor. This same predator has been chosen by the Republic of Korea, South Korea that is, as a cherished emblem of its air force. is the goshawk. Represented here in North America by today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the northern goshawk, Accipiter gentilis. The name goshawk comes from the Anglo-Saxon goshapok, meaning goosehawk, honoring its prowess in falconry against large quarry like wild geese. Like its smaller Accipiter relatives, the coopers and the sharp-shinned hawks, the northern goshawk has broad, rounded wings for maneuvering or crashing through the forest vegetation in pursuit of prey. Attila the Hun apparently liked to attack people, and so do goshawks, although they do so for defensive purposes mainly if they feel someone getting too close to their nest. The bird is about 21 inches long, with about a three and a half foot wingspan and a long tail. The adult's back is blue-gray with a heavily streaked chest and belly, red eyes, and a pale eyebrow stripe usually visible on its dark head. The northern goshawk makes a couple of different sounds. One is a kind of plaintive wail, like this. and the other is its alarm call. Fearsome enough to adorn the helmet of Attila the Hun, 
and respected enough to earn the Latin name Gentilis, meaning noble. Accipiter Gentilis, the northern goshawk. Today's talking birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 594. Hope you'll follow us on, our, well, look for us on our website, TalkingBirds.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. We have a special guest to welcome this morning. He's the one, the only... The Birdist. That's right, the Birdist. Nick Lund. Down there in the Washington, D.C. area, he's the creator of the Birdist's rules of birding at audubon.org and he's with us on the phone right now good morning nick hello nick maybe he didn't like that introduction that we gave him i will hook up with uh, nick here in just a moment uh we're going to talk about his rules for birding in rule number 82 know your public lands and i think we have uh, nick with us right now finally hey ray can you hear me now we got you nick thank you there you go hey good morning well, no, you're not uh, caught in the hurricane down there. You didn't get much of a windstorm down there, right? No, no. It's a little breezy. Uh, we were planning on looking for birds, but I, I think all these house barrels were here already. So I don't, I don't think much has come in. <laughs> I was just uh, recalling again this story. There was, a, there was a whimbrel that had a radio tag on it, in, I guess in Hurricane Irene. And we know that uh, birds fly in the eye of hurricanes sometime, but this sometimes, but this bird, I guess, flew right through the hurricane. Wow! It's just amazing to think, uh, you know, how how birds can withstand some Im- pretty incredible wind. That's incredible. I can barely even stand outside when it's raining without <laughs> you know falling down. I hear you. Okay, Nick. Rule number eighty-two on your birdist's rules of birding is know your public lands, and there yeah. are lots of them. And some of these statistics you have here are kind of amazing to see how many state parks there are, for example. Yeah, there are uh, lots and lots of state parks around the country. Uh, about uh, ten thousand two hundred. <laughs> Wow. Scattered around this this country of ours, and um, uh, yeah, what, are there some in Massachusetts that you like? I know in Maine, where I'm from, uh, Baxter State Park kind of rules the land with Katahdin in it. But um, yeah. are there places state park in Massachusetts you like to go burning it? We, we have a lot of state parks, and there's one that's close by here. And if I can remember the name of it, I'll say it in a couple of minutes. But it's escaping <laughs> me uh, right now, right now. But you uh, know. I'll, that's funny. That's a lot of uh, these public lands are sort of like that. They're places you go. You may not know exactly who manages it or or what it's called, but uh, you know that they're a good places to go for birds. They're kept in natural condition, so that's that's good enough. You have one a favorite one you have listed here, not around here. Antelope State Park in Utah. Yeah, Antelope Island State Park in Utah is one of my favorite places in the country. It's out in the middle of the Great Salt Lake out there, just north of Salt Lake City. And you drive, you know, you're in the city, this urban place, and you drive out uh, over this causeway that has tons of birds on either side of it, uh, all kinds of foul ropes and grebes. And then you get onto the island, and there are bison everywhere, and there are elk uh, running around and pronghorn running around. Mm. Uh, you feel like you're back in the back in the old west. And uh, it's just a great spot. I encourage anyone, if you're in the Salt Lake area, to, to pop out to Antelope Island. You got a couple of other favorites you mentioned: Fort Zachary Taylor State Park in Florida and Waldoxy State Park yeah, in good Mississippi. Old, good old Waldoxy. Well, Fort Zachary Taylor. I was there. I saw the Cuban Vireo this year, which is the, uh, the first time it's ever been seen in the United States. So I owe that park a bit of thanks. 
And Walt Oxy State Park is just a, a, a nice little gem in North Mississippi, near where I used to live for a while, where there are all kinds of cool warblers coming through. Um, Swainson's and Kentucky and all the all those good southern ones. So, love that place. We're particularly connected this year with uh, National Parks, uh, Nick, in the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. We're going to be That's broadcasting right. from Yosemite ne- uh, next week, and you've just come back from there. Yeehaw, Yosemite. <laughs> I was just lucky enough to spend a few days out there, and man, oh man. So, Ray, I, I have been to a lot of national parks. I think Yosemite was my favorite, is my wow. favorite. So I think you're in for something uh, next next week. You're going to be there? We're going to be there next week. We'll be doing our show there on the 16th. Yeah, we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time there as you did, but uh, as you said to, to me off the air, just being there uh, for a short time, you'll get some idea what an amazing place it is. Yeah, you'll probably be down in the valley, and you have these huge granite walls uh, on both sides of you over the top of your head. Your 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 voice is going to be booming off the side <laughs> of Half Dome, and, and uh, everyone will love it. You're oh. going to have a great time. We won't even need a microphone then, eh? No, you probably won't. <laughs> Here's another uh, anniversary. Actually, today begins the 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 week the the uh, beginning of National Wildlife Refuge Week, and uh, yeah. there are a ton of national wildlife refuges around the country. There are a ton. There are about 560, is my count. Um, and birders know that national wildlife refuges are sort of the place for for us. I mean, they're they're managed a, uh, much more for the natural condition. Then national parks, which are managed a lot for uh, public recreation or his- history, if uh, depending on the case. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of us go to national wildlife refuges, and, and we're some of the only people there, and we're really enjoying some some really great birds. I know you've got uh, Plum Island. Well, it's Parker Island National Wildlife Refuge, right? On Plum Island, yeah, an amazing place. Yeah, yeah. I like to go over to Bombay Hook and Prime Hook uh, in Delaware, which have got some incredible birds. Um, but with 560 to choose from, they're, they're all over the place. I'm sure there's a refuge near you. You know what? I'm, I'm just looking as we're talking here, too. We were talking about state parks here in Massachusetts, and I, I'm kind of blown away by this list here because they're listed, you know, alphabetically. So under <laughs> A and B, there are about 20 state parks. Under C yeah. and D, another 20, <laughs> and so on uh, down the line here from Mount Greylock, Great uh, Raptor right. Watching Place, Pilgrim Memorial State Park, Rumney Marsh, Rutland State Park, you know, South Cape Beach State Park, Squantum Point Park, which is right down the street from the, from our Talking Birds World Headquarters office in Quincy, Mass. So they're, uh, they're out there. And you know, your- and that's actually an important point to remember about public lands, is that uh, in the United States, the vast majority of uh, federal, federally owned lands are out in the Rocky Mountain West. And so the, the majority of eastern lands are either, either privately owned uh, or what public lands they are are largely state parks. And so state parks are, are very important on the East Coast where there isn't as much federal land for us to recreate on. Mm-hmm. As you pointed out, Nick, if you're looking for birds, you could probably find virtually every bird species in some kind of public land. You don't have to climb over anybody's uh, fence. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can if you want to, if that's your thing. But, you know, I, I, I don't think maybe a Kirtland's warbler, obviously, you got to be lucky with that. Mm. But but uh, I think that was federal, some kind of federal land, National Forest. I saw that on in Michigan. Um, I, I don't think there's any bird in the United States that, that isn't found on a public land. And um, maybe, Ray, you and I should do a public land's big year where we only find birds on public land. All right. Let, let's, that's let's, an idea. All right. You can start planning it. 
I'll follow along. All right, so, I'll tell you when I'm ready. Where can we find an overview of public lands suitable for birding? <laughs> Nick? You know what? One place <laughs> is my column on uh, Audubon.org, Birdist uh, Rules of Birding. Just uh, slap that into Google, and it'll take you right over. All right. He's the Birdist, a.k.a. Nick Lund, and you can find all of his rules of birding, old and new, right there at Audubon.org, and find all those great places to uh, to travel, all these public lands, Audubon.org is the website. You can also check out Nick's blog at thebirdist.com. That's thebirdist.com. Dot com. Nick, thanks for being with us. We promise to follow your rules, and we'll talk to you again soon. Please do, and have a great time in Yosemite. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. All right, bye Coming right. up here next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. If you've listened to Talking Birds over the past several weeks, you may have heard us talking about our upcoming trip to the Galapagos Islands. And guess what? The guest list is now almost full. So if you'd like to join us, and we hope you will, the time to sign up is now. We'll travel with our friends from Sunrise Birding, one of the world's finest small group touring companies. I'll be your host for the trip to this truly amazing place where we'll get up close to giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and spectacular bird species, including Darwin's famous finches, and we'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. We'll be led by expert local guides, and we'll cruise in comfort aboard a custom-designed first-class yacht. Sound good? Well, don't hesitate. There are just a few cabins still available. We'll visit places and see things that most other tour groups simply don't see. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Here in the Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible to win if you haven't been a winner here within six months on Talking Birds. And all you have to do to take part is give us a call at this number. As always, we urge you to call as soon as you can. It's 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Our prize is the beautiful Droll Yankees original, iconic A6F classic bird feeder. It's the first tubular bird feeder in the world, invented in 1969 by Droll Yankees founder Peter Killam, and now back from its five-year retirement. It is a beautiful thing, and it's our, our mystery bird prize. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Our mystery bird is a small wader. In brooding, uh, breeding plumage, the female is mostly gray and brown above, with white underparts a reddish neck and reddish patches on the sides. The breeding male sports a duller version of that color scheme, and the reddish patches are smaller or absent altogether in the male. Our bird feeds on uh, aquatic invertebrates like midges and shrimp. While foraging in the water, they often spin in circles to create a whirlpool that sucks up food items to the surface of the water. That's what our mystery bird does. What do you think it is? Let us know or take your guess because no correct answer means a drawing will determine the winner. And the number to call is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred. Meanwhile, here we are in October. We're getting ready for those birds to come down into the lower forty-eight from farther up north. How about a winter finch forecast? We'll check in with that and get some info from our man Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. 
Hello, this is Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and I want to tell you about my new favorite discovery, Yosemite National Park. I recently went there with my husband and children, and we walked the trails to see the breathtaking waterfalls, admired the grand meadows, and giant sequoias. But the future of our national parks is uncertain. Many challenges face our parks today, from polluted air and water to development threats outside their borders and inadequate funding to protect our national heritage. That's why the National Parks Conservation Association recently completed a decade-long assessment of the challenges facing our national parks, along with proposed actions that will ensure our children and grandchildren will be able to enjoy the parks as we have. Our national parks have inspired Americans for nearly 100 years. As we approach the centennial of the National Park Service in 2016, please join us in helping to protect our national park legacy. Find out how at www.npca.org. Time for us to check with our man, Mike O'Connor, down there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Winter is approaching. We have the winter finch forecast. Good morning, Mike. Well, good morning, Ray. Yeah, it's not so sunny on the Cape today, but we'll get through it. A little rain. I didn't even know that finches made forecasts, but apparently <laughs> they do in the wintertime. No, 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 no. This is different. This is different, Ray. I say this, this is... But while most people are worried about who's going to win the election or who's going to win the Super Bowl, a, a, a greedy seed Bridget like myself worries about the <laughs> finches that may be coming down. And there's a guy up in Canada, um, Ron Pittaway, who gathers information about the, the cone and the seed crops in, in Canada and predicts when some of the finches may be moving down. And by finches, we mean like red poles or mm-hmm. siskins or pine grosbeaks. Mm-hmm. And if they're if they're going to need extra food because the natural seed, the, the, the local seed crop has failed, sometimes they head south. But what I didn't realize is sometimes they head north. The birds, mm. I would uh, automatically assume they just come down south and take a break from the winter. No, but they follow the food. So sometimes the birds in parts of Canada go further north looking for food. So don't wait, we don't always get them. But um, you think there's a good chance this year of getting some some red poles, which would be kind of cool. We haven't mm. seen red poles for a while. Um, he predicts more um, uh, red-breasted grosbeaks. Um, actually, I've, I've been seeing them already. And uh, maybe some crossbills. Somebody in Provincetown's already had 20 white-ring crossbills. Wow. They may be heading this way. So that would be exciting. He doesn't think we're going to get many grosbeaks, either pine grosbeaks or evening grosbeaks, which would be kind of which is uh, a, little, a little too bad. Um, but he... he he, he thinks it's going to be a little bit better average year. He doesn't talk about snowy owls that everybody talks about. These are just finches that are looking for, for seeds. And when the crop, natural f- crop fails, the bird's plan B is, is our feeders. And have I got a feeder for them? <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> Available right now at the Bird Watchers right. General Store. Hey, Mike, thanks for that. This is early in the season, so we'll do some more about this and see how those yeah, finches right. are doing. Yeah, right. Just have folks pay attention to their feeders. They might see something different pretty soon. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay, thanks, Ray. Mike O'Connor here at our Bird Watchers General Store down there at Orleans, Cape Cod. We're back now at the Mystery Bird Contest, trying to identify this mystery bird. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Our mystery bird is a small wader. In breeding plumage, the female is mostly gray and brown above with white underparts, a reddish neck, and reddish patches on the side. Mention the female first because the breeding male sports a duller version of that color scheme. Uh, Our bird feeds on aquatic invertebrates like midges and shrimp, and it often does that uh, 
interesting whirlpool thing spinning around in the water and causing food items to come up to the surface. Why not? 781-837 is uh, a 4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. I think we have uh, Colin up in Toronto, Canada. Good morning, Colin. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling uh, from up there in Canada. That's where some of those wintering finches come from. Oh, yeah. Lots of them. <laughs> Although you're kind of south, so you'll be getting some of those that are coming up from further coming down from further north uh, this winter, or looking for mm-hmm. them anyway. How about our mystery bird, Colin? I think it's a Wilson's phalarope. Did you say a Wilson's phalarope? Yes. You did say a Wilson's <laughs> Just making sure. Absolutely right. Wilson's phalarope is, uh, is absolutely correct. What do you know about that bird, Colin? Uh, well, I haven't, haven't actually seen it myself, but uh, the spinning... Uh, rung some bells, so I looked it up in my field guide, and uh-huh. I've seen it a million times in there, yep. so I figured it must be uh, must be that. Nice work. Colin, stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that bird feeder. Thanks very much. Uh, all right. Thanks, Colin, from Toronto. Wilson's phalarope is our mystery bird. Can you believe we're out of time already? Please join us next week. We're very excited. We're going to Yosemite National Park. We'll broadcast from there on our next show. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. 